Leading Corporate Transformation, the podcast by VHU Auto Beisheim School of Management, powered by PwC, on the transformation of companies and their culture, from decision makers for decision makers, or from entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Dear listeners, welcome to a new episode of our VHU podcast, Leading Corporate Transformation, powered by PwC. My name is Martin, Martin Glaum, and I'm a professor at WHO, Otto Beisheim School of Management. With me, as always in this podcast, is Gori, Gori von Hirschhausen from PwC. Gori. Thanks, Martin, and a big hello to all our listeners from my side. My name is Gori von Hirschhausen, and I'm the co-host of our podcast. Uh, I'm a transformation consultant in this talk, and uh, I'm leading our commercial industrial product and service consulting at PwC. My background is to help our clients to optimize and transform their finance function. So it is a very special honor to me, actually, to introduce our today's guest. So a warm welcome to Harald Wilhelm, uh, the CFO of the Mercedes-Benz Group. Harald, thank you so much for having us today and uh, for giving us the opportunity to speak with you about Mercedes-Benz Group, your job as a CFO, and of course, about you as a person. Harald? Good to have you. Thank you, Gori. Uh, thank you, Martin. Uh, thanks for giving me the opportunity. Well, I'm, I'm Harold, Harold Wilhelm, and uh, CFO of Mercedes-Benz Group. Uh, obviously, the coolest job on the planet, and I'm very happy to wow. talk about that. <laughs> That's a statement. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Doing a podcast with the CFO of Mercedes-Benz is a highlight. I have to say that. It's a highlight for us. It's a highlight for our podcast. It's also, I would like to add that, personally, a very special event for me because I had the pleasure to work with Harald for quite some time as an academic advisor in his previous position at Airbus. Thus, the last time we met was in Toulouse a few years ago. Uh, now we're here in Stuttgart. I guess we will come back to Airbus at a later stage of this podcast. But well, let's start with the, with the Mercedes-Benz or rather with Daimler because when you started here, it was still the Daimler. It was still Daimler AG in April 2019. This is only a short while ago, but since then, fundamental changes have already taken place. One of the biggest was, of course, the structural change, the carve out of uh, the Daimler Truck AG a year ago and the renaming of your group as Mercedes-Benz. Can you tell us a little bit about the reasons for this fundamental shift? And maybe also, can you tell us whether you're happy with it, the way it went so far? Well, with, uh, with great pleasure. I mean, obviously, when I joined uh, Daimler as a CEO uh, in April 2019, it was a great honor. Yeah. And it is still a great <laughs> honor uh, uh, to endeavor to restructure uh, Daimler into Mercedes, uh, Mercedes-Benz Group. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, it's a bit of a bold move. And uh, I think you need to have also a bit of a respect for that. But what was the motivation? I mean, why did we trigger, I mean, the structural transformation of the group from Daimler in, into Mercedes? Well, uh, Daimler at that point in time was uh, formed into three entities, Mercedes, Daimler Truck and uh, Daimler Mobility with Daimler AG sitting as a holding on top of it. And I think we know that capital markets like focus Capital markets like focus in terms of if I want to invest into cars, I invest into cars. If I want to invest into trucks, I invest into trucks. Uh, and they don't like so much conglomerates, uh, which you then can read in conglomerate discounts. 
So uh, therefore, I think there's a strong perspective from capital markets uh, in terms of uh, yeah, this dedication and the focus. At the same time, uh, transformation requires absolute management focus. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. And also right. entrepreneurial freedom to act, uh, to go to go fast, uh, speedy in transformation, in execution. Yeah. So you come basically from both angles. You come from a capital market point of view and you come from a transformation angle. And on that basis, we concluded that in, it's better for Mercedes to be focused on Mercedes, i.e. Mm -hmm. cars and vans, yeah. and for truck to be focused on commercial vehicle, which, by the way, is a different business. Uh, the one is uh, a B2C, the other one is a B2B yep. business. Yeah. Um, and uh, and therefore, I mean, uh, the, the rules of the business are, are, are different. Yeah. Um, and that's why we decided to basically to go for a spin of the Daimler truck. Mm -hmm. Also, I think a bit of a difference uh, compared to some other makings. Uh, it's a it's a fully independent company which we created uh, within record time, twelve month, uh, ten months. Yeah, that was impressive. Uh, Sixty-five percent listed in the market. We're still shareholder with thirty-five percent in it, but the governance is completely independent. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, as you said, thirty-five percent is still on your books. What's the reason for this then? If the capital market wants a pure play, well, uh, we wanted to uh, kickstart uh, a successful entry into market and mm -hmm. being an important reference shareholder in it. Uh, mm -hmm. With a minority, uh, in a, uh, but an important stake, I think was uh, also a good signal into the market that we were there to support. And uh, I think nobody of us could know that. I mean, very quickly after the start, the 24th of February 2022 happened uh, with all of these uh, tragic aroundings. Uh, um, and, uh, and therefore, I think it was good to be there. And we will be there for a while, but uh, probably will not be there forever. Mm -hmm. Let us look for just one moment at the van business. You just said uh, the capital markets like uh, pure plays, they don't like conglomerates. The vans, Gori and I discussed that yesterday yeah. evening. The vans yeah. for us are, you know, in themselves two things. There are the luxury vans for people, you know, yeah. and there are also the vans, I don't know, the, the, the vans, you know, our local carpenter would use and run around uh, doing their business. Why did you keep the vans and would not spin them off together with the trucks? Uh, you, you mentioned it, a good part of the van business is actually very much in support of uh, the, the, the car side yeah. and uh, yeah. the aspiration to build the most desirable cars. And this respect also uh, 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 the V-Class uh, being a very prominent yeah. uh, uh, a contributor in the product portfolio here and in the future. And we have some, some, some good ideas in this respect uh, looking into the future. But you cannot do that in isolation of a larger platform. So the synergies between uh, the, call it I mean the commercial side, the light commercial vehicle side and the passenger car side, so to say, I mean, and the vans are important and overall the vans benefits from uh, from a large, uh, larger scale uh, passenger cars business mm -hmm. in terms of components, in terms of uh, software architecture, in terms of uh, uh, fixed cost structure as well. So there, are, I mean, I, I would say there are benefits uh, for both sides, I mean, to be together. And uh, uh, that's uh, why we're, we're happy to have the man on board. You mentioned it before, Harald, there's so much change going on at Mercedes-Benz Group. Your strict focus on e-mobility in the future, your focus on the luxury brand positioning of the brand. Um, 
becoming the mobility provider, the service provider beside being the best car manufacturer. So it sounds like, and let me ma make this picture, you change the engine while you are driving or while you are flying, if you would <laughs> take it like this. So my question is, what is the size of change that you are managing here? And how do you, and you said that before, um, that you need to have the respect when it comes to this transformation. Can you tell us a little bit more of the context? Yeah, uh, I think we, we talk every day about the transformation. And uh, every every day we see it's, it's a huge challenge. And probably for us, but also for the whole auto industry, it is the largest scale transformation ever since the existence of uh, the auto industry. Yeah. Um, and that's why we defined, uh, I mean, the way forward uh, to be a guide for ourselves, yeah. to be a guide, I mean, for our, our teams, uh, for our leaders, but I mean, for everybody I mean, in, within the company, but also for all of the other stakeholders, I mean, in particular, also I mean, for the shareholders. Yeah. And uh, we call that the six pillar strategy. Oh. Um, well, I mean, in a nutshell, uh, it says uh, we want to focus more on the top end, on the luxury side of uh, the product uh, portfolio. We want to focus more on profitable growth. We don't want to go for the volume play. We want to develop, I mean, important sub-brands such as Maybach, AMG, G-Class, uh, we uh, want to expand uh, uh, digital revenues in, in the future. We want to be a leader uh, in software, but we also want to be a leader in e-drive. Mm -hmm. And uh, last but not least, uh, we want to bring, I mean, our cost structure into place, into shape and be competitive. Yeah. So that is our six pillar strategy. And it helps us to navigate uh, so the longer term, but also on the day by day in terms of how to manage that, uh, that transformation. Uh, well, uh, defining the strategy is one thing, uh, <laughs> doing it, executing it day by day is a, is a rocky road, yeah. uh, but it's exciting. I have to say at the same time. And as you said, very required from the business environment overall, as you say, uh, we do believe, I do believe you need to be bold. You need to yeah. be determined. Yeah. Uh, you, if you follow a strategy of a kind of a me too, I want to do a bit of everything you're going, maybe you're still there, yeah. but you're not going to be a leader. Yeah. And Mercedes deserves to be a leader. I mean, it's a, the most valuable luxury brand in the auto space. Yeah. Uh, and it deserves to be there in the future. Um, and uh, that's why we, we don't take it the light way. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> we, we take it the bold way. Yeah. That's very impressive. And the dimensions of this change are truly also uh, just impressive. You mentioned six pillars. Uh, let's take them, you know, one by one, or let's start with maybe the transition to electricity, to electrical or electric engines. A while ago in, in uh, July of 2021, Mercedes-Benz announced that all newly launched, uh, you know, car platforms would be electric only from 25 onwards. Is still, is this still the plan? Do you still go electric only from, uh, you know, two years from now? Well, uh, actually, if you allow me, I, uh, Martin, I, I, I go back to fall 2020. Okay, sure. And sure. we said, uh, yes, we want to go electric. Yeah. And we laid out a plan where we said, uh, well, I mean, uh, by, the, by the mid of the decade, we want to be around 25% uh, electric uh -huh. plugins and pure BEV. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. And when we thought about it one more time, I uh, said, no, that's not ambitious enough. 
And so we came up. Ah, well. uh, yeah. That is, that is yeah. the full story, the yeah. true story. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, be that's bold, how, be bold. Exactly. So <laughs> that's how we came up saying, no, uh, we need to be bolder. Yeah. Uh, we, we need to go all in into, into Beth in the future. And that's why we, we stepped up the curve and said, I mean, around the mid of the decade, we want to be around 50% XEV share, plug-in and BEV. And by the end of the decade, we want to be 100% uh, uh, BEV with uh, one condition where market conditions allow, uh, going along with infrastructure, uh, close bracket. Um, what does it mean? And probably that is even the more important point, that you allocate your capital mm -hmm. uh, into the BEV world which means any new platform development from now onwards is going to be on a BEF platform only. Mm -hmm. um, we, we will bring to market uh, this year a fantastic E-Class into the market, uh, which is combustion-based, which mm -hmm. is also plug-in-based. But I mean, thereafter, basically, you will have electric, electric platforms. Uh, that is what we determined uh, in, in 2021. And that means uh, obviously allocation of capital in this respect, but also a gigantic shift of resources of all of the teams in, in this dimension, uh, in development, in the powertrain, throughout um, uh, the whole company. Mm. Do you also have a set date already from which point on you will no longer some, uh, sell combustion engines? Uh, I mean, my question of course comes against the background of the discussion around the Green Deal, the EU Green Deal. The EU had announced that they wanted to, uh, you know, implement this ban on combustion engines from 2035 onwards. There is now a discussion sparked off by German Minister of Transportation, Volker Wissing, to be more technology open and, uh, you know, be more flexible. Um, what's your call on this? What's your position? What is Mercedes' position on this? Yeah, I, I want to be very precise on that. Uh, what... what we said and what we pursue is, uh, as I said before, we want to offer uh, electric vehicles in all segments from 2025 onwards uh -huh. and all new investments will go into the electric only. Okay. However, we can only do that as we have a very, very modern combustion fleet in all segments, mm -hmm. which we developed and brought to market uh, over the last years. The S-Class, the C-Class, the GLC, the E-Class I just mentioned before. And they will serve the markets means throughout the decade. Mm -hmm. And they can also go into the next decade uh, as we keep them fit. Uh, yeah. Well, with a question mark on uh, what's the final outcome of the EU7 and the like. But I mean, these are kind of the hedge uh, to allow the transformation, or you could also say to fund the transformation. Yeah. Yeah. The cash they generate obviously helps uh, to build up, I mean, the BEF profile and manage the transformation. Uh, we did not set a date uh, for ourselves where we say, this is when the last combustion <laughs> engine comes <laughs> off the line. <laughs> no, why? Uh, uh, this is up to the regulator to say, is it 2035? Uh, are there exceptions? Uh, we have the tool set, uh, we have the combustion engines and the platforms as I just before, but uh, 
the important thing is to scale the BEF. So you're obviously, I mean, one of the industry insiders, and and, uh, I'm curious about your view on on this. Uh, 2035 is 12 years away. You could say that's a long time. You could say it's a short time. Maybe for a technological change of that dimension, it's a short time. Do you think it is realistic that a complete shift to combustion, from combustion to E, uh, you know, is achievable in Europe in this, you know, shortness of time? Certainly, this is ambitious, uh-huh. yeah. uh, but that's exactly why we decided in, in 2021 uh, to go that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds like a long, long time away. In essence, if you think about development time of a platform, you industrialize it, you ramp it up, uh, uh, you serve the different categories, I mean, of the segments in the market. Wow, that goes fast, yeah. right? And if you want to have basically all new vehicles CO2 neutral by 2035, uh, this is racy. Yeah? And that's why you need to be bold. That's why you need to be determined. Uh, and uh, well, we, we like, there's a lot of discussion on technology openness. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. And uh, yes, we uh, were also interested in various technologies. Uh, but at the time, you need to industrialize, right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, playing around with too many stuff just distracts uh, and you're losing focus. Uh, And that's why we decided, I mean, to go all in BEF. Looking at BEF, I mean, uh, the infrastructure is a key component to this play, right? So you need to have the charging environment available. So what do you say? What are the biggest challenges when it comes to this infrastructure that is required that you see? Yeah, uh, you know, when we took this decision in 2021 to mm-hmm. go all in BEF, yeah. our belief was basically, well, uh, building infrastructure is not our business. Um, it is, it will be a commodity sooner or later. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like, like, I mean, today, I mean, petrol business, fuel stations and, and the yeah. like. Uh, uh, we did a few investments, I mean, here and there. Um, but then we had a second, uh, a second look and a second thought about it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, number one, uh, is the infrastructure really coming up quickly enough? Yeah. Number two, we build the most desirable cars. Yeah. Can we offer the most compelling charging experience? Hmm. And when, when thinking about that one more time, we said, no, uh, I think we have to engage ourselves at least to, to help kickstart it. Yeah. And uh, so that's why we came up, uh, I mean, with a decision and announcement at the beginning of this year in January, also to step in uh, on the charging side and uh, to build uh, more propriety Mercedes charging infrastructure. I mean, first in the US, um, in in Europe, but also in, uh, in, in Asia. All in all, I think I mean number around you know, ten thousand stations or so. We we, we want to do on a worldwide basis. Um, um, so we also invest capital into it. Uh, we will run these. I mean uh, by ourselves. We want to differentiate. We want to be them discharging locations to be in the right space. Yeah. You don't want to end up somewhere at the middle of the night in the suburb. Uh, you want to have some facilities, I mean, around uh, maybe a, a restaurant, coffee shop, uh, 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 restrooms and, and the like. Uh, maybe you want to have a roof above uh, you. I mean, if, if it's rainy, yeah. uh, you want to have light. Uh, and in particular, you might wish to have a reservation function. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that's what we're going to offer. 
Oh, that's very interesting. I mean, um, let me ask it this way. You So from the customer experience, you say this is part of our core business to provide such an infrastructure. Uh, as I said before, we believe it's important I mean, to help building the profile yeah. um, and develop it. Yeah. Uh, then we will see over time uh, how the, the whole infrastructure business is going to develop yeah. and uh, then it can be opened up I mean further in terms of I mean the capital maybe to other people by the way we're doing it already I mean uh, with uh, with partners yeah uh, so for uh, our undertaking I mean in in the United States uh, we teamed up uh, with MN88 and uh, also with with ChargePoint so I think we're well-known players I mean in in the market uh, but in the future one could think also about more but to kickstart it, uh, we want to really engage ourselves. Okay. That's very interesting. I mean, looking at it from the, let's say, strategic point of view we're describing, um, it makes perfect sense. At the same time, you're the CFO, right? I would expect that this is an investment-heavy decision that you are taking here. How's your view as a CFO on this? Uh, good point. Yeah. <laughs> so it's... Uh, Probably the key role of the CEO is capital allocation, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, capital is scarce. <laughs> uh, no, definitely. Um, uh, this is in the context of uh, the capital prioritization uh, we're pursuing, uh, which I would say I have a, have a bit of a skin in the game here. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm totally I mean, convinced uh, that it, it is an important uh, success factor uh, for e-mobility uh, to, to come up and therefore it is a, a must to do. But in return, it means that, I mean, you, you have to, to prioritize and deprioritize I mean, a lot of other yeah. stuff. Yeah. And it comes back to also to the bold move in terms of the BEF. Yeah. Uh, we will fund the transformation into BEF that uh, the investment into charging the transformation into software yeah uh which all in all i think i mean investments over the next couple of years call it 60 billion or so yeah i mean how can we make that happen as we will reduce the investment on the combustion engine side by up to 80 percent compared to the level we had in 2019 mm. by, the mid, wow. by, by, yeah. by the mid of the decade so just imagine you keep going investing into combustion. Yeah. You keep going investing into, uh, uh, let's call it technology openness. Yeah. And then also into BEF. It's just impossible. Uh, I think you, then your number might go through the roof a bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, which has been debated also, I think, over the last couple of days quite a bit in other yeah. contexts. So talking about capital allocation, uh, and capital is scarce, uh, Mercedes-Benz Group has also started to build up its own battery production, I believe. And uh, a few years ago, one could read that batteries would be, you know, commodities, right? Uh, you know, the car producers would focus on the cars and others would produce batteries. Now it seems, you know, the, the big uh, OEMs go a different route and everyone builds up their own battery uh, production. What's the rationale for this? Hello, uh, let me share, I mean, uh, Martin, my, my, my own experience here. When I joined in 2019, I thought, uh, well, yeah, I mean, in the combustion world, uh, the, uh, the engine, the powertrain, really different shades uh, yeah. uh, uh, from, the from the competition, right? And I think it's true. 
Um, but I also thought, uh, well, in the electric world, you buy an e-engine, you buy a battery, you integrate it into the vehicle, <laughs> and it's a commodity. <laughs> mm -mm. <laughs> I definitely <laughs> changed my view over the last okay. four years. I well, definitely okay. changed my view. So uh, what, uh, what is the learning and what is uh, what we're doing? Uh, you need to be very, very deep on the development side on the e-drivetrain. Uh, and you also need to be very, very deep on the battery, the cell chemistry. Let me explain that shortly. Uh, uh, the efficiency of the powertrain uh, makes such a huge difference. Uh, and why is it so important? I mean, in combustion, uh, it's also important. But uh, okay, if, if, if you're a bit less, okay, you refuel. No, in, in, the, in the electric vehicle, you need to carry the capacity with you, i.e. the battery. And if you're having 10 or 20% more efficiency, it means you have either been at the extended range, which is obviously a key factor in yeah, electric mobility. Absolutely. Or you can have a smaller battery, which is very important from a cost uh, standpoint um, and, and a margin perspective. Yeah? So we call it also um, uh, efficiency is a new currency. And therefore, the yeah. e-drivetrain is super important. Mm -hmm. The other one is on the on the battery. Uh, a battery is not a battery. You have a battery for different purposes. Uh, you have I mean lower cost uh, 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 cell chemistry. Call it I mean LFP, um, which offers less density, so you have a bit less range, but your cost point is lower. Um, you go to different uh, cell chemistry, call it NMC, um, you have more density, you're getting to higher range, but you have a higher cost point. You go to performance, you need something else. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I, mm. I, I stop here, I would say, but that means on the development side, you really need to be mm. deep on, on both. Comes the industri industrialization side, uh, and here you can work in partnership. We, we did not go ourselves into cell manufacturing. We think, uh, I mean, this is other people, I mean, who are more experienced in doing that, but we follow it very closely with partners, I mean, such as CATL, Farasis, uh, and we also invested, so to say, into partnership with ACC, European champion, um, jointly uh, with Stellantis and uh, Total. So we engage in it, but via partnership or via investment, we're not building a factory for cell uh, manufacturing. The assembly of the batteries, yes, we're doing that, um, as this is part of the basically the vehicle uh, oh, okay. uh, assembly okay. and integration. So looking at all of this, looking at the uh, required investments into infrastructure, looking at the battery and the quality it makes to the product, maybe that's a good segue to come to the positioning of your brand as part of the strategy. So you are going full luxury with Mercedes-Benz. Mercedes always was, of course, uh, a high-end brand, but you are focusing even more on the luxury, uh, uh, let's say, um, aspect of this. Can you give us a little bit more of the context why that is so important? Yeah, we, we reflected what is it really we're good at. And when you go back I mean, to the DNA of mm -hmm. the company, uh, we're sitting here in Stuttgart, uh, we are looking over the uh, 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 Mercedes-Benz uh, Arena, uh, <laughs> where yeah, the VfB is playing. 
but we also look over the museum, right? <laughs> uh, the fantastic Mercedes-Benz yep. Museum yep. over there. Uh, unfortunately, you guys listening can cannot look out of the window. Um, but but they can visit uh, it one day. But you can visit, and yes. I think it's the most uh, popular museum, or one of the most popular museum in, in Germany uh, in terms of number of uh, visitors, and I really would recommend doing that. Yeah. Um, no, you, you see what is the DNA of the company. Uh, and that, that, that really sits at the sweet spot of combining luxury products with technology leadership. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is where we think, I mean, uh, the USP of the company is. Mm -hmm. Are we a mass producer? We do two million cars. Okay, fine. Yeah. But do we want to really go into mass? That means you need to have scale, you need to have, I mean, lowest cost, cost possible. You decontent uh, even so the challenge or in particular as a challenge of, uh, of the BEF comes along with higher variable cost, you, you take even more content out. Is that what we, uh, want to offer as part of our brand promise? No, yeah. we want to build the most desirable cars in, in the past combustion in the future electric, but combined coupled with technology leadership. So it seemed to me that in the past, the automobile uh, sector generally really strongly emphasized size, right? economies of scale. Also here at Daimler, you know, in the past, economies of scale, you know, world factories and all these concepts of, of scale were, were, were paramount. If you limit yourself only to the high end uh, part of the market, isn't that limiting yourself too much in terms of, you know, reaching scale economies? Uh, allow me, Martin, to set the record straight a bit. Uh, <laughs> okay. uh, it's uh, sometimes uh, <laughs> it's being taken up like uh, we're two million today, uh, and we focus only on the, on the top end. The little top end at our end uh, in 2022 was uh, 328,000 cars, uh, which combines, I mean, S class, I mean, uh, G class, AMG, Maybach, uh, and, and the like. Uh, which we believe is the largest in this segment. Do we want to limit to this segment in the future only? No, we never said that. Okay. We never said that. We will keep a very strong uh, footprint. I mean, and foothold. I mean, in in the core segment, which is around the C and the E class on the sedan and the respective SUVs. But we will also keep a position in the entry segment. Uh, however, in the entry segment, we elevate the entry position. Mm -hmm. So you have a mixed change in the entire portfolio going more on to, towards the top end. But even within the entry segment, uh, you, you have a step up. I understand. Uh, so we're not leaving that segment. We're 2 million I mean, today. Yes, we were 2.3 in, in 2019. Uh, uh, we have the ambition in, uh, to grow. Uh, we said, I mean, uh, around 5% CAGR, I mean, moving forward with more emphasis on, on the higher end. And we believe, I mean, we, we can command that. But the important point, uh, we, adjusted, we adjusted our industrial footprint and also our cost structure. Uh, I mean, we, we basically said, I mean, we, we, we adjusted our suit uh, so we can, we, can, we can accommodate to live also with 2 million units. Uh, as you can see with the numbers in a profitable fashion um, and are not condemned to to grow, to absorb um, mm. fixed cost and, and mm. the like. You know, that is the switch of gears. 
some clients uh, do experience that it's not so easy to get the car that they desire. So uh, looking at the luxury brand industry, that is an experience that you also might have if you want to buy a certain bag or if you want to buy a certain watch. So my question is looking at the uh, luxury goods industry, is this something that you learn from them? Is there something that you apply um, as Mercedes-Benz Group in these terms? Uh, uh, absolutely, Yuri. I mean, we, we, we obviously look at uh, uh, other companies I mean in, in, this, in this field. Uh, scarcity, I think, is uh, one key factor in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, therefore, we switch the gears in terms of, I mean, we want to serve the markets, but we don't want to oversupply the market. Yeah. Which uh, then comes along with other uh, implications uh, uh, in terms of pricing, in terms of uh, number of vehicles, I mean, in the stock at dealers at our end with residual values, I mean, uh, going down too quickly. Yeah. Uh, so I think we uh, <coughs> we look carefully, I mean, at that. And that's, I mean, why uh, we're switching gears in this respect. But it's a journey, I have yeah. to say. Uh, uh, the, the focus on this higher end uh, is uh, now more or less, uh, call it I mean, since, since a good year, mm-hmm. or call it since uh, since we developed I mean, the, the six pillar strategy. Um, but I mean, it's definitely I mean a journey uh, yeah. we, we are on. Mm. Over the past two decades, China has become very, very, very important for car manufacturers generally, and and also for Mercedes. Uh, You generate, I've looked it up, roughly 20% of your revenues in China. And I suppose that the the EBIT or profitability, uh, you know, the proportion is likely to be even much higher there, I would expect. Um, However, competition there is very fierce, especially now in the electric segment of the market. On top of all this, you know, there are the political tensions that develop, protectionism, building. Against this background, how important is China today and maybe looking into the next years, how important is China for Mercedes-Benz Group? Well, it's a matter of fact that uh, China is the most important market in terms of uh, uh, unit sales. And we are in the market in China uh, via the, the, the vehicles which we export, I mean, into China and via uh, the vehicles which we build in China in partnership uh, with uh, uh, our partner, I mean, Bike Motors, in a GV, which is at equity. That comes in addition, that comes addition, yeah. But why yeah. do I make the point? Yeah. I mean, the market uh, all in all is around 30, 35% of our total sales, mm-hmm. if you, if if you, you add, if you add yeah. I mean, yeah. the GV yeah. into yeah. the picture. Yeah. Uh, so obviously that is sizable, that is important. <laughs> yes. uh, and I think, I mean, the potential to grow further is definitely, I mean, in, in, in Asia and in particular in, in China. Um, uh, that's why we are there and we also want to be there in, in the future. Uh, we established, I think, a good relationship. Uh, we're a good corporate citizen. Uh, we have this uh, joint venture, but we have a lot of other activities. I mean, uh, also in the development space, uh, even more important uh, tomorrow than mm-hmm. in the past. Mm-hmm. You have local development teams, in particular when it comes I mean, to software and uh, uh, connectivity, n- navigation, uh, uh, infotainment features. Um, so uh, clearly, that is I mean, our strategy to be there in the future, to, to be also a local player I mean, in, in China. Uh, we're not naive. At the same time, um, we do see um, a need 
to develop in our sourcing uh, further. The semiconductor situation and crisis over the last I mean, two to three years I mean, showed uh, clearly I mean, to us uh, that there is a need I mean, to do so, and that means uh, probably to have, at least in some areas, more local for local sourcing I mean, in the future. Uh, in particular, I think I mean about uh, <coughs> uh, battery and battery sourcing uh, more in the future. So call it Asia for Asia and Europe for Europe and US for the US. So looking at the Chinese market, we there was an announcement that you reduced prices. Um, so can you talk a little bit why that was uh, required, why you had to reduce prices in the Chinese market? Uh, we uh, let me uh, go and give me the back the background of it. Yeah. Um, we uh, brought uh, the uh, uh, electric family into the market. I mean, in China, mm -hmm. uh, the EQS and the EQE family. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we um, we took overall uh, an ambitious view on pricing, along the lines we debated before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, we could see that. Uh, Uh, there was a, a growing confusion among dealers and customers in terms of uh, how to get the vehicle in, into market uh, with a two large variants uh, of uh, discounts being given. So mm -hmm. we had to calm down that situation yeah. and uh, therefore, I mean, had to, to do some, some pricing adjustment. Yeah. But uh, the matter of fact is, I mean, right now, that the uh, the BEF market uh, in China is growing at the fastest pace. However, at the low end, call it around 300,000 yeah. renminbi yeah. Uh, and below. Yeah. This is not really where we're playing. Mm -hmm. If you look at uh, the uh, the top end market, the top end market, I mean, today uh, is still very much I mean, combustion driven. Yeah. And here we're clearly market leader I mean, in China. Mm -hmm. Um, the challenge will be yeah, to switch the market uh, and to go also from the combustion top end, where we are leader, yeah. into uh, uh, a BEF top end yeah. and be a leader also there. Yeah. We think, I mean, we have the products. Um, <clears throat> uh, we put consciously, I mean, the product into the market with a BEF which differentiates. I mean, the EQS is not a sibling of the S-Class, the combustion S-Class. Uh, the EQE is not a sibling of the combustion E-Class. It's mm -hmm. different in terms of the shape, the aerodynamic design. It's more focused, I mean, on the driver, a bit less on uh, the, the passenger in the rear seat, which in China plays a role. Uh, um, uh, so we look at that um, and we'll build a curve Uh, and uh, for the future, we have uh, many ideas in terms of I mean, further exciting products uh, also on the BEF side I mean, to come into the market uh, in, in China. So we'll serve the market. We will not push vehicles into the market that would yeah. be in contradiction yeah. to what we're debating before as part of the luxury strategy. Um, uh, and, uh, and therefore, we'll try to build a curve also on the, on the BEF in the top end. Yeah. One of your biggest competitors in China when it comes to the BEV business is BYD. Um, that's an interesting uh, brand. Is, do you have a view on them? Uh, go if you allow me. I think uh, they're really trying to go on a volume play. Yeah. And I think they've been doing a, a very remarkable and respectful I mean, ramp up of the, of the B offering. Mm -hmm. uh, being, uh, uh, I think, uh, <coughs> 
the two leaders I mean in the in the BEF uh, world in China but around the 300 RMB yeah. now with Tesla yeah. Yeah. Uh, not so much really in in where we are yeah. focusing upon mm -hmm. uh, however there are other players who try to go also into the higher end okay and we're looking very very carefully at them uh, we uh, we look at the vehicles we test drive the vehicles <laughs> uh, yeah, we have a sure. very very careful look at these yeah. and I have to say uh, it uh, deserves respect in terms of what the guys have been doing and within a very short period of time in terms of technology development creating a company developing a vehicle uh, lots of uh, 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 infotainment uh, navigation and uh, and driving assistance systems which have been developed in in, in, in record speed. Yeah. So you, you you cannot be lazy about it. Yes? You yeah, cannot yeah. lean sure. back mm, and just yeah, say, sure. I'm Mercedes <laughs> and I'll be there forever. No, yeah, yeah. Uh, you need to be at eye level or above, and then you have the brand Stay on here. top. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is what matters. Yeah. We talked a lot about the e-mobility itself. So, um, but looking to the car digitization and looking to the data services and mobility services that come along with with the with the vehicles themselves, um, I think that is a good point we should talk about when it comes to your own operating system that you are about to build into your new cars. You just announced the Mercedes-Benz operating system. So, can you tell us a little bit about this? move and what do you expect from this move yeah we did a couple of markets event uh, a couple of weeks ago in california uh, where we gave a deep dive uh, in terms of what are we doing on the mercedes-benz operating system yes. on the architecture of the, the hardware the software then the living rooms as we call it i mean the Uh, what is it? It's infotainment, it's navigation, body and comfort, uh, autonomous drive. And uh, we consciously opted, I mean, to give, I mean, a technical deep dive, mm -hmm. less focused on the commercials, mm -hmm. uh, which is the reverse of what some of the other people had, had been doing. Yeah. And why as investors really wanted to understand uh, in, in depth, um, what are you doing there? Important, I mean, uh, maybe <clears throat> to, to, to keep it a bit short on this is, um, Uh, you you need to uh, be the architect of the house, what call it the house, mm -hmm. yeah, with the software hardware architecture being the foundation, mm -hmm. and then uh, offer attractive, I mean, customer suites. Uh, infot again, infotainment, navigation, autonomous drive, body and comfort being the key ones. Yeah. However, do you want to do all of that yourself? Mm. No, you don't want to do that. Pretty much maybe on hardware and software, this is a difference mm -hmm, mm -hmm. compared to the past. But then in, in the domains, you want to partner with the best in the market. Um, as they have been developing in a platform business, why do you want to reinvent the wheel? Mm. It takes you huge capital, uh, time, resources, time to market. Yeah. Uh, so that is not a, a good recipe, I would say. Mm -hmm. yeah? So you you rather take I mean the best ones uh, which serve your purpose best, and that's how we came up with a partnership with Nvidia on the autonomous drive. That's how we came up now with Google, also on the navigation, and uh, I think it's one of the first uh, in in terms of uh, the cooperation with Google in the sense that I mean we're using Google navigation in the future in the vehicle. 
however, fully integrated into our architecture. It's not a plug and play. That is a key difference as integrated features uh, are becoming much more important. Uh, I give you one example. Uh, today, you're using your navigation system uh, in a combustion vehicle. Mm -hmm. uh, you can also use your navigation system you might have on your smartphone, right? You can maybe even uh, have the navigation on your smartphone and get it on the screen in the, in the vehicle. Yeah. Is it interactive with the vehicle? No. Yeah. Will it ever be interactive with your vehicle? No. Mm. Does it make a difference? Yes. Sure. And why? As uh, uh, the vehicle tells you when to, in the, in the electric vehicle, when to charge, what's your best routing? Uh, what is uh, your, your, your rotor to, to distance? So <clears throat> uh, the integration with the vehicle uh, is where I mean, the, the smart future lies. So that is why we were doing this architecture, yeah, but we're partnering at yeah. the same time. Let us move to another topic, a topic that we always cover in the podcast because it is also about transformation. And I'm talking about sustainability. ESG or CSR sustainability. Your industry is moving away from combustion engines into e-mobility. And on the one hand, this is, of course, a move towards sustainability. It's driven by that motivation originally. At the same time, we know that it also comes with challenges. You know, a big challenge is around the batteries. There are questions about their, you know, the raw materials, where they come from and uh, how they're explored. At the end of their life cycle, you know, how to dispose of them. How do you, how does Mercedes deal with this aspect of sustainability? Yeah, we focus a lot on uh, on the uh, <coughs> on the vehicle, on the BEF. Yeah. But uh, we, uh, uh, we have an approach and an ambition which goes beyond that. And uh, that covers basically the full life cycle. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, in, it includes, uh, I mean, the scope one, two, and three, uh, namely, it also includes uh, the supply chain yeah. uh, vertically. And uh, here we have an ambition of not less than uh, to, to half the CO2 emission life cycle, including scope one, two, and three, uh, from uh, beginning of the decade until 2030. Uh, the ramp up of the BEF is certainly the most important one Uh, but you will never get there if you don't address all of the remainder. Mm -hmm. uh, what does it mean? Uh, you need to switch over uh, your own manufacturing uh, into, into, uh, into green energy. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you need to switch logistics. You need to switch uh, supply chain as well. Yeah. Uh, but you also need to address uh, the end of the life cycle in terms of the recycling. Uh, or the remanufacturing in, uh, of, uh, of, of the batteries. So we're working on all of these domains. <clears throat> uh, and uh, again, uh, <coughs> uh, reducing it by, uh, or I mean, uh, uh, being, being half of the number by 2030 compared to okay. uh, 2020 is, a, is as well a, a gigantic ambition we, we set ourselves. Mm -hmm. The E of ESG stands, of course, for environment and environment, you know, mostly the focus is on CO2. I've seen that uh, Mercedes wants to be in the production. So that would be, you know, scope two or level two that would be, you will be uh, CO2 neutral next year. Um, 
But there is also S and G. Right. Uh, what other aspects apart from environment are important for Mercedes-Benz? I've seen that you have a, a sustainability day at the end of this month where you go, you know, broadly into that issue. What, what's, what are the main other topics? Uh, absolutely, Martin. Stay tuned. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> on the 30th of uh, uh, yeah. March, uh, yeah, we're okay. going to have uh, our next uh, ESG conference. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which uh, becomes now, I think, a kind of a standard. So mm. part of the G, I would say, yeah. I mean, good corporate governance. Yeah. Uh, to have an annual ASG conference, uh, which uh, probably is as important as uh, the General Assembly, or you mm -hmm. might say even more so. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and uh, so here we'll talk uh, in terms of where, where we are, what we have been doing, uh, including uh, green finance, uh, obviously green bonds, uh, and uh, Uh, but we will cover the, the full spectrum. Uh, so I, I might say we cover the G, mm -hmm. <laughs> the governance aspect. Uh, historically, I think we've been pretty strong on the G side. But uh, your question, I think, refers uh, probably more to the S. Um, and uh, the S in particular uh, has, a, has a huge importance. Uh, as now uh, you need to look deeper into supply chain mm -hmm. uh, uh, on the material, where's the material coming from. Uh, are human rights respected uh, yeah. within the supply chain? Uh, in Germany, we have uh, uh, the uh, Supplier Due Diligence Act. Uh, how is that called in German? Lieferketten-Sorgfaltspflichtengesetz. Uh, <laughs> we love the word. <laughs> yeah, probably only Germans can invent that. Um, um, uh, but in you no know, more seriously, uh, which I mean, requires you to go deep to understand where's the stuff coming from, are human rights respected over there? And uh, we got ready for that and obviously take that very seriously. Hmm. Let's move more centrally to finance and to your role as the CFO. You mentioned that uh, the transition to e-mobility goes, you know, hand in hand with huge investments. Uh, the, the figure of 60 billion euros was mentioned, which is mind-boggling. Um, uh, you know, your role as the CFO is to make sure that this money is spent efficiently, that there's, you know, Russian you know, rationality of all that is ensured. How do you do that? How do you monitor all that? How do you make sure that, you know, this massive investment is invested in, in the most prof profitable way, most value generating way? Yeah, I mean, maybe let me go back to 2019. Uh -huh. uh, uh, just a bit of a uh -huh. starting point. Uh, um, where, I mean, first, obviously, you need to get a hand, your hands around them in the company and financial performance. Um, and, uh, and then how do you shape it moving forward? <coughs> Um, so after uh, doing due diligence and uh, <clears throat> going around, uh, basically uh, we, we came up uh, uh, a bit helped, if I may say, by the COVID crisis in quarter one, uh, quarter two, 2020, uh, where we were sitting very intensively, not at home office, but uh, next to the office we are sitting here, mm. uh, hammering out basically the way forward into the future. And what was it? I would say two things. Um, <clears throat> number one, uh, we uh, we gave ourselves, I mean, an as called financial target framing. We said uh, this transition into a BEF future is going to be a really tough one in terms of investments, but also in terms of I mean, the margin. The variable cost of the vehicles are more expensive than the combustion today. Middle of the decade, 
and is a power of you also towards the end of the decade. Um, how can you respond to it? Well, you need to transform at the same time, not only the vehicle, you need to transform the company. Mm -hmm. uh, and means uh, you, <clears throat> you have to pull all levers. We talked already about, I mean, more the luxury positioning. We're talking about more margin focus, so less volume push. You need to take your fixed cost down. So we gave ourselves, I mean, the objective to reduce fixed cost, I mean, by 20%. But we also said we'll, we'll lower the investment overall by, by around the 20% until the mid of the decade uh, compared to 2019, despite going full electric. Mm. And that is a kind of a framework <clears throat> which we follow. Um, and it gives guidance. It gives guidance to ourselves. It gives guidance to the teams. It's pretty tough, I can tell you, yeah. every day. That's for sure. And every day, I mean, uh, uh, the colleagues are knocking at the door and say, <laughs> I'm struggling, I'm struggling. Yeah. Uh, so even uh, having having reasonable numbers in these days, as you might have seen with our full year release <laughs> 2022, uh, we're not giving up. We're not relaxing as a challenge is a transformation yet ahead. I mean, that was number one. And the number two, I would say, uh, we, uh, we instilled a focus on cash and cash flow. Um, and uh, we, uh, uh, we have a program running, which I think is in the meantime known pretty well within the company, even maybe a bit outside, which is called We Are CFO. <laughs> uh, uh, which means not everybody is CFO. <laughs> Share your you know, role. Uh, but yeah. it is called, I mean, we are cash flow oriented. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And the interesting thing, it has good level of traction on the operational side. So the people on the shop floor uh, think about how do I deal with, with, with the money of the company yeah. as I deal with my own money. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, more focus on 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 on, on cash flow. Uh, so these were two fundamental changes. Uh, I think how to how to address that transformation from a CFO perspective. I've read somewhere, which you know reflects what you've just explained, that you're aiming for robust profitability uh, to uh, you know give you the strength and the resilience in that transformation phase. Profitable growth. Yeah, profitable growth. Yeah. And, uh, you know, looking, as you said, at the numbers, at the most recent numbers, indicates that you're on the way there. You know, your, your profits have gone up, um, fixed costs have come down, margins are up, profits are up. Um, return on sales is up quite uh, somewhat already. Looking at the question now from the other side, uh, you know, if you want to implement that, you indicate that don't you also meet with resistance from within the company, you know, and, and uh, people questioning this, uh, given that you have such excellent numbers that you push them even further? And if, if so, how do you deal with that? How do you motivate the whole workforce in that process? Uh, very good point, Martin, obviously. Uh, as, uh, <clears throat> uh, obviously, uh, yeah, you can have, um, you can have a contradiction uh, mm -hmm. printing good numbers Uh, and keeping the pressure on, as I just said before. Um, the key thing is I think, to have very focused, simple communication why we're doing it. Uh, and the, 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 the truth of the matter is just this transformation is yet to come. Yeah. Yeah. We, we are even somehow at the beginning only. Uh, we are at around 16% XEV share. We talked about 50 and 100%, right? 
So this is mean what we're conveying mean uh, to our people mean internally, and uh, I'm not. I don't want to say that we are at the end of it, but I think we're getting good. We're getting good traction in terms of mean the understanding for it, and definitely will not relax on that. Uh, that is uh, uh, where we are determined as a management team uh, to to go to go that path. Maybe we can now switch a little bit of the perspective because we talked a lot uh, and you said that that uh, everybody should behave like a CFO when he is uh, part of the transformation, when he's part of the operations. Looking at the finance function itself, what would you say? Uh, how is your finance function within Mercedes-Benz Group developing? How good are you in taking your own medicine? Uh, number one, I would say uh, <coughs> uh, the finance function obviously need to be the one driving the performance. Yeah, sure. And uh, I think that is in the DNA, but you can always do more. Yeah. Uh, and definitely uh, you, you never give up the journey, if I may say, to, uh, uh, to develop from somebody uh, who might have provided a budget in the past <laughs> to somebody who challenges I mean, the business and helps to develop the business to, yeah. to be a better business in the future. Uh, uh, that is a never-ending story mm -hmm. uh, and a journey. Uh, point number one. Uh, point number two, <clears throat> uh, we talked about uh, efficiency and performance. I always tell the guys, you know, it's difficult. I mean, if you want to challenge a business and want to tell to somebody in operations, a plant leader, you need to do better. <laughs> <laughs> and you, yourself, you don't even know what your product costs are. Yeah. Or, I mean, what is the efficiency you had been doing in your own finance camp last yeah. year? Yeah. Have, you, have you done your own three or 5%? So we engaged into a significant efficiency journey, uh, therefore. Uh, which is uh, <coughs> uh, which is difficult, uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as obviously uh, you need to have, I mean, a clear vision in terms of what are your products, yeah. uh, on which you focus, uh, what uh, are the efficient processes mean to run them, uh, and then also maybe have the right uh, tools, I mean, yeah. to do so, and then have the right setup. Um, in terms of the setup, uh, basically we are uh, we're pursuing an approach where we say we have a, a part of the organization which is really focused on the performance side of things, so mm -hmm. acting a lot mm -hmm. with the business partner yep. on the one side. We have one part which is operations. We consciously don't call it shared service mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. we think shared service is a kind of a two-class organization, which yep. we don't want it to be. Yep. So operations being at eye level, but having a full responsibility to provide actual data to uh, to the organization and to run all of the transactional stuff. Yes. And then a very strong role of governance uh, to set standards uh, and to make sure standards are being adhered and applied to. One of the major, let's say, efficiency levers within finance and also effectiveness levels, of course, is the ERP system, right? Finance controlling um, very much relies on, on the level or in the quality and the automation and digitization of the ERP system itself. We all know that you are switching from R3 to S4. Can you talk a little bit about this move? Where are you? What are the challenges? Yeah, it's a pretty gigantic uh, undertaking and, and yeah. uh, it's been decided in 2018. Oh, wow. uh, and uh, so uh, we switched over the van business yeah. uh, in uh, 2022 uh -huh. 
and we'll switch over, I mean, uh, the car side of the business, I mean, in 2024. It's a gigantic migration um, <clears throat> on the ARP side. Uh, I understand from the guys at SAP that's probably the largest uh, uh, migration as such, oh. as MBAG is uh, is a huge commercial industrial machine yeah, yeah, yeah. within one sure. legal entity. Yeah. But I would say the transformation goes far beyond that, yeah. uh, far beyond uh, uh, the RC uh, HANA uh, migration. It is um, uh, what is your integrated business steering model? Yeah? Mm -hmm. How do you operate? <clears throat> Where is the source data coming from? Um, how do you make sure internal, external perspective is completely aligned? Yeah. Um, uh, how do you tear down the silo accounting controlling? Yeah. How do you manage to uh, uh, one management accounting perspective and the proponents perspective I mentioned uh, before? And how do you serve basically the business with relevant information? Yeah. Uh, uh, so that goes much beyond uh, the the technical migration, which in itself is a gigantic task. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But here, uh, <clears throat> uh, a lot of work. I mean, we've been doing, but still, uh, I mean, a lot ahead of us, um, as obviously tools, processes uh, go go for a long way. Uh, and therefore are very much with the people. So to engage the, the entire FC community in that transformation for everybody to understand why we have to change, why processes are different to all, yeah. tools are different, responsibilities are different, roles are different, is a gigantic transformation journey uh, within the FC organization yeah. next to the transformation at the business side that we were talking about before. Yeah, but if you summarize it, it's it's, it's a business-led transformation. Then it is really like bringing the better services, the better finance services to the organization to bring um, the, the right information at the right point in time to the decision makers. Um, this has a follow-up question from my end. Um, looking at advanced analytics, looking at applied, um, let's say, artificial intelligence, how far are you with these things? How much focus is on advanced analytics in your uh, performance management, which you were describing? Uh, we have different areas where we're using it. Um, uh, my view is, uh, however, all of that uh, is, is depending on rock solid actual data and consistent data. It's only on that basis that any analytics makes sense. Garbage <laughs> in, garbage out, right? Yeah, it's all science um, fiction if the data quality is not ex here. Exactly. And uh, uh, that's why I mean, instilling in a strong focus on, on actuals and understanding of actuals and, and also actuals to actuals improvement uh, is for me the prerequisite to go, to go that avenue. Yeah. Controllers love budget and I mean forecast to, to to, to budget and yeah. sometimes don't look at the actuals <laughs> and that's why yeah. there is a bit of work. <laughs> <laughs> got it, got it. Harald, I started uh, our talk here with a reference to, to Airbus and our connection uh, at that time in, in uh, Airbus, where you worked for almost 20 years. Right? Looking back at that time, Airbus, aerospace, and reflecting on your work now here, Mercedes-Benz, car production, What is the biggest difference for you in your role as a CFO? Uh, well, I think both roles, I mean, uh, have and had their their challenges and ambitions. <laughs> I, I, I would say, 
I think the the size uh, of the the business transformation of the industry transformation uh, we're going through now, uh, on which we discussed, uh, I think is is definitely at a level which uh, uh, keeps my heart going and my mind going every day. Uh, <clears throat> uh, that is uh, definitely been very very ambitious, I have to say. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, uh, however, I mean, the experience I had in the past uh, in terms of large, uh, large project management uh, yep. <clears throat> uh, and also some failures <laughs> attached them into it, uh, I think, I mean, gave me uh, some, some good learnings and, uh, uh, and uh, yeah, uh, at the end, you might see also here and there, I mean, we talked a bit of focus at, at the beginning in terms of the company structure. Um, a, a bit of, uh, yeah, I mean, not so different. However, I think, I mean, obviously, Odor is a different business than aerospace. Mm. Looking at our listeners, many of them, I would say, belong to the next generation of, of leaders, uh, next generation of CFOs. So if you look back into your career, uh, are there any advices you would give to the young generation to follow what they need to take care of? What, what would be a good advice from your end to, to the next generation of leaders? It's a bit easy for me to say, <laughs> <laughs> don't worry about your career, you know? <laughs> yeah, from your perspective. <laughs> uh, uh, but if I may say, uh, well, number one, uh, <clears throat> I think uh, the moment uh, you, you give up to be ambitious um, mm -hmm. and question yourself, Uh, probably uh, you are over the top of your career point. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, number one. Uh, number two, <clears throat> uh, I think, which goes going along with it somehow, I think you always need to go for some challenging projects. Yeah? Yeah. You need to have a I mean, perspective, you need to articulate a perspective, a vision, and then motivate um, in the teams uh, to go with you. Yeah, to uh, follow. Yeah. And that is difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, that requires, I think, at the same time, uh, that you you take complexity out and you instill simplicity. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. I also learned it. Uh, I mean, back at Airbus days, as Martin, you were uh -huh. making reference to it, we, we had some pretty complex topics uh, in currencies and others. Yeah. And at the point, uh, I... <clears throat> I explained that to the the, the, the chief engineer <clears throat> uh, of Airbus. He said, my goodness, this is damn complex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was so proud. <laughs> An engineer <laughs> looking at a CFO that topic. The engineer said, oh, this is complex. Uh, <laughs> thereafter, I found out that was damn wrong. As I should have made it damn simple. Yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, and that that is also, I think, in the key, key learning. And okay. stay humble. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> And uh, definitely, uh, I was exposed in the past, uh, I would say, to, to an environment which uh, was, I think, well known and perceived to be pretty political. Mm -hmm. Maybe at the end, it wasn't even that, that yeah. particular, as many people mean, thought or talked about. But the, the one advice I can give only stay out of political games. Uh, <laughs> good one. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. a good one. You talked about, you know, that young people should be ambitious 
looking at your position now, you at the same time said it's easy for you now to give maybe advice or it could be easy. What's on your agenda? You're now the CFO of Mercedes-Benz. That's one of the largest companies in Germany. It's one of the most prestigious, no doubt, maybe even in the world. What's next for you? What's your personal goal? Well, uh, <laughs> we talked a lot about this transformation uh, yeah. and uh, anyhow, transformation is never over. Yeah. I mean, we talked about what's, what's on the agenda now for the years to come. And I think that will keep me pretty, pretty busy, <laughs> <laughs> but excited and motivated, I have to yeah. say. Uh, the moment you lose passion for it, uh, I think uh, you're, you're over the point as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I'm, uh, I'm definitely excited about, I mean, these challenges uh, and to master these challenges. And I have to say, yeah, the, the, the ambition I still have is uh, to, to better convince me in the capital market um uh, in terms of do they like the story uh, do they like the strategy do they like the execution 14% margin cash generation share buyback uh, focus uh, spin off truck uh, 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 net liquidity tick 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 <laughs> all good all fine if you look on the share price evolution yeah we've been moving yeah uh, but uh, i uh, i think uh, I, i would like to get it to another level um, as I think, uh, it's not for my, my own prestige. No, not at all. I think Mercedes belongs into a different uh, league, into a different category. The brand uh, of Mercedes in itself is already uh, considered to be valued at $15 billion ratio. So the brand only. Yeah, 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 yeah. So <clears throat> cannot be that a market cap uh, sits only at 75 uh, uh, billion yeah. euros or so. No, yeah. it belongs into a different league and that's what I want to push. Ah, Harald, that would be a topic for, for another <laughs> podcast, I would say. <laughs> Looking at the time, we come to our final question and we have established a certain tradition and we like to ask you uh, for an advice. An advice if there's a certain book or a podcast that has influence on you at the moment or in your life. Is there anything you can recommend to our listeners? Oh, probably I should do lip services. Well, Uh, yeah, for sure. There's an excellent book, which is called the Mercedes-Benz uh, Annual Result. Uh, the, annual, <laughs> the annual report <laughs> was just released last <laughs> week, week, right? Which was just released last week. Yeah, yeah. that's a good so, one. No, no. <laughs> But there's the oh, story no. behind the, yeah. the value of well, the Well, right? if I think about, I mean, uh, a, a book, is, uh, 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 it, it dates back already a bit. But I really like, I mean, the one, uh, uh, Speed of Trust. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm a strong yes. believer of that. And we didn't talk too much about leadership here yeah. today, uh, but I'm a very, very strong believer of that. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, the, the, the power uh, of basically trust in, Coming from in trust. performing organizations. Uh, that really is a learning I did in, in, in the past, and which is still very much in, in, in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, well, if I think about, I mean, <laughs> a podcast, I mean, You might be surprised, but uh, sometimes you want to disconnect also from 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 business, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm from Bavaria, so uh, <clears throat> I like very much the uh, very uh, cabaretist. I mean, uh, maybe you know it, uh, you know her, Monica Gruber. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. sure. Maybe not everybody in yeah. the Anglo-Saxon or even in the German part <laughs> understands it. You must come from but Bavaria. It's, it's it's such a great uh, sense of humor and so down to earth. Uh, 
So uh, down to reality um, from time to time, if I see or listen, uh, I, I love it. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. Good. As always, the book recommendation, or in this case, the cabaret, brings us to the end of this podcast. As I said at the beginning, it was a great pleasure, great pleasure to be here in Stuttgart at the headquarters of Mercedes-Benz and to talk to Harald Wilhelm, CFO of that company. Harald, many, many thanks to you for making your time available. And as always, many thanks to our listeners for your interest in our podcast series. Thank you, everybody. And a big, big thank you to, do, to you, Harald. It was a real pleasure getting all the insights from you. And I just learned that there will be another podcast on the leadership style of Harald. So <laughs> stay tuned. There will be another one to come. Okay. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you very much, Goey. Thank you very much, Martin. It was a great pleasure. Super. And you're welcome back here. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. That was Leading Corporate Transformation. The podcast by VHU Auto Bicyme School of Management, powered by PwC. Editorial team Marvin Schuna and Simon Gerlach. <laughs> <laughs>